0: It's funny looking out at at all you ladies, the the nice crowd here, makes me think of whenever priests have retreats, priests go on retreats sometimes as groups too, and I'm sure a sister can attest to that. Priests, if they don't want to listen to the main speaker, they're just not going to show up, so fortunately, y'all are all here, boring you to death, if there's a bunch of priests, there'd be three of you in here right now, they've been tired of listening to me. So we, we're gonna to look today at that, that third element of what spiritual childhood can be defined as. We've already seen it's that experience, that relationship to God the Father and his love for us as persons. And then we talked about learning the art of failure, how to maintain our peace, and that founded in the trust in the Father's merciful love. And this topic, I'm to be honest with you, I gave a kind of a, a, t- talked about it a little bit uh, during a Lenten retreat sort of adapting it, and it's something that I've been thinking about, praying about, and talking to a number of people about, but it's really hard to put into words, or at least to describe accurately, although I think I have it now where I think you can at least understand it, if not with your head, maybe with your heart. We've talked so much about spiritual childhood, but yet we haven't talked about the passages in the Gospels yet where Jesus talks about the children or he has interactions with children. And that's what I want to do, is I want to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. And so I'll read it, and we'll kind of explore it a little bit. At the time, the disciples approached Jesus and said, "'Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?' He called a child over, placed it in their midst, and said, "'Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children,' you will not enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever receives one child such as my, such as this in my name receives me so jesus is clear here and he's clear in other places that the key to entering the kingdom of heaven you must become like little children now, what does that mean though of course he's not saying we have to go back into our mother's womb Uh, nor is he saying that we have to act childish. Of course, we understand he's talking about humbling ourselves, to be small like a child, to trust, embrace our weakness. But notice the next line, and I think this is the one that is so decisive for me and sort of jumped out at me uh, several months back when I was praying with the Scripture. The next line where Jesus says, Whoever receives one child, whoever receives the child, just as Jesus does. He takes the child, receives the child, and places it in his midst. So the child then, besides everything else we define it as, is one who allows himself or herself to be received by another, all right? Child, or the mark of true childhood, or here, spiritual childhood, is the one who allows himself or herself to be received here specifically by Jesus as we're going to talk about God the Father. That's what a child is, is that allowing oneself to be received is the third leg of spiritual childhood. Let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. <clears throat> sort of the same thing. And the people were bringing children to him, he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it. Then he embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. So here he is embracing the child. It's basically sort of the same passage, but he's not just receiving the child into its midst but he is embracing and blessing the child. And so this is the third and, for me, most important dimension of spiritual childhood, also probably the most mysterious, allowing yourself to be received by the Father. Again, allowing yourself to be received by Jesus, of course, because Jesus is the icon of the Father, is allowing yourself to be received by the Father. Very, very difficult to describe. It's one of those things, if you've experienced it, truly being received in the totality of your being, whether it be in prayer or by another person, you know it. You know what I'm talking about. Because it's more than simply receiving love or receiving a gift. We all can do that, even though it's much easier to give than rather to receive. But what I'm describing is being loved on a much deeper and more profound level. It's a complete, encompassing love. A love that sort of acts, in the best way I can describe it, as an affirmation of our being. We are told, verbally possibly, but most often unverbally, it's good that you're alive. It's a good thing that you're here. It's good that you're alive. It's where another person, here God the Father, not just loves us, but delights in our being. To have someone delight that we exist, that we are there. This is the ultimate experience of being loved unconditionally. That even in our weakness, our flaws, our sinfulness, and our humanity, that someone receives us, delights in our being, this is redeeming love. This is love that transforms and changes us and ultimately should act as the firm basis of healthy self-love. If we can allow ourselves to be received by the Father and it it makes an imprint on our soul and our heart as it were, it is the ultimate experience of being loved and molds and forms our self-image, as we'll see, should help us better love other people. Again, it's so hard for me to describe or understand, but I'm going to do my best and by exploring different aspects of it to really try to get to the heart of it. I know we keep returning back to the family of origins, but ideally, this being received, this being delighted, someone delighting in our being, should happen when we're children where our parents, our mother and father, delight in our being. And actually we know can begin in the womb. Studies show that children know, and they can feel love, or sense love and warmth and kindness in the womb. And so this is an essential love, or being loved, for who we are and not for what we do. Because I don't mean to sound bad, babies are useless. I mean, they really don't serve any purpose or function. All right, you can cuddle them and stuff. Can't put them to work. They can't really do much. They don't produce anything. Well, they produce poo and stuff like that. But they're really not useful. But yet, yeah, so when you love a baby, when you love a child, you're loving that child for who he is or she is not for what they do. And, and it goes back to this, I mean, this image, or we can go to this image of the father embracing the child, the mother embracing the child for the first time. It is a, whether you realize it or not, in those first formational years, you have mother and father and potentially others saying to you non verbally, it is good that you're alive. We're being affirmed in our being. And of course, it also begins to build that bond of trust that uh, is so essential in the relationship between a parent and child. And so I think we can look at several images of this. You know, that that father who is embracing the baby, maybe for the first time, as awkward as it might be for him, uh, for fathers in general, but being embraced, the loving embrace of the father, that is being received in your totality. But probably the most beautiful image is more than a father is that of the mother. You know, I've been talking about Hans Urs von Balthasar. One of the great images he gives or he talks about uh, is not just the love a mother has for the child and awakening something in the child, but specifically the smile of the mother. And I'm going to give you this quote, and I'm sure a lot of you who are moms can, can understand this. After a mother, his child smiled at her child for many days and weeks She finally receives her child's smile in response. How many of you remember the first time your kid smiled back at you? Again, I can only imagine that's a pretty powerful experience. She has awakened a love in the heart of her child. Because that child's perceiving being loved, being received, it awakes something in the child. So being loved, being received can change and awaken something in us that enables us to love ourselves and thus better able to love other people. Notice, too, and we won't get into it much, that the, 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 notices the smile of the mother. There's something about the eyes, uh, the look of love, uh, when someone looks upon us with love, and also speaks to us. The eyes, when we talk about the mediating, the, the love of the Father. There's something about a loving gaze that can transform us. But the idea, though, is that this being received particularly here, is the foundation of spiritual childhood. Just as we can understand, it is in human childhood for the daughter to be received by the Father. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like this child, unless you are willing to allow the Father to receive you. You are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That, I think, is not just the words of the Lord, but his gesture. He just didn't say it. But he received the child, embraced the child, and placed his hands on them. So the lack of this, and again, we brought it up before, uh, can have some devastating effects. The importance of being loved and embraced when we are children, which, of course, leads to to us needing it when we get older. But there's a Catholic psychologist. uh, He's dead now. His name is Conrad Barr, B-A-A-R-S. Um, He wrote a number of books, Um, he was a Dutch, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, and he wrote this book called Born Only Once. And in the book, he talks about the fact that we as humans should be born twice. He's not talking about being born again at baptism. The first is the physical birth, where we come into the world. But the second birth is being born emotionally or psychologically. And that comes from being affirmed in our being, being received in love in this very radical way. And so, of course, none of us have, have all been born perfectly, but there are some people who were born once but never born a second time. Some who were completely told it is not good that you're alive. One of the stories that I share, and it's one of the saddest stories that I've ever encountered as a priest uh, when I was first a priest, I was working in a juvenile detention home, and I always talked to the young men about, you know, why they were there. One young man, 15 years old now, then, or 16 years old, that he was there because he had um, shoplifted, he, had taken, he stole a TV or something, and so I asked him, I said, you know, tell me about your, your childhood, and he goes, well, I grew up, I really didn't have a dad, uh, I just had a mom. I said, what happened to your dad? Your dad, you know, did he die? Was he in prison or whatever? I remember the boy, I'll never forget this, looked at me straight in the face. And he said, when I was born, my dad tried to sell me on the black market for $5,000 to buy crack. And so I was like, what? So I said, how how have you handled this, this? I mean, talk about not being born twice. And I asked him, I said, well, how is it you know, do you do drugs? No. Obviously he robs, I said, do you get in fights? All the typical self-destructive behavior. I said, he he said no to all of them. I said, what do you do? Remember he rolled up his sleeve and he had cigarette burns on his arm. He does this, burns himself. He was told that it's not good that you're alive. You're worth a couple of nights of smoking cocaine. That's all you're really worth. That is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. And so if you're not, if if you don't receive this, it can lead to some pretty self-destructive behavior. So Conrad Bord says, unaffirmed individuals can be said to have born only once. Their second or psychological birth never took place. They are like prisoners, locked and lonely and self-centered, waiting for someone to come and open the door of their prison, waiting to be opened to their own goodness and that of others. And so this is the, the lack of vulnerability. So how, how do we break through that? Well, we break through it by, as Christians, loving other people and reaching out to them. Now, Jesus didn't give us the command to love one another for, for funsies. He didn't say, ah, oh, give them a bunch of different commands. Why am I to do this? No, because he knew that our love for others was going to be that channel, that mediation of his love. And so, but if we are so broken and we cannot experience being loved, and we can't give love to other people. And so, I mean, I, we've gone over it so much already, I don't want to continue doing it, but the fact of the matter is, regardless of our level of woundedness or brokenness, we all need to be received by another. We need to be received by another. We ultimately need to be received by the Father in order to be open to our own goodness. And the Lord is going to use other people to do that. And so the truth is, though, if we didn't receive it when we were younger, hopefully no one in here received something as horrible as this young man did. I have no idea where he is. I often wonder and pray for him. It's a terrible story. As we get older, it is much more difficult to receive this type of love, to be received completely by another person. Why? One, because of the fact that there are very few people out there who can love and receive people in this complete way. I'm sure if you think about it, a person who can love in this radical way and receive a person and transform them, I bet you, you can name those people in one hand. One hand. Why? Because it's, it's such a rare thing. I often think, what would it have been like to be loved by St. Therese? Or what was it to be loved by Our Lady? That's what we're talking about, That our Mother Teresa. Let's talk about the stories of people who changed by Mother Teresa just loving them and carrying them. That's, that's what it is. Now, ideally, of course, it should be the fathers to daughters. It should, could be other people. But the fact of the matter is we're all broken. It's very difficult to be able to love like that in our brokenness. But even more so, we often do not want to be vulnerable. We have the walls up the shame, and the woundedness that we have. We feel no one would want to receive us, or we don't want anyone to receive us because we're afraid of being rejected. We don't want to take that risk. It takes an amazing amount of trust. But allowing ourselves to be received that way, particularly by received by the Father and aware of it, can be transforming and healing. Not just loved in our sin, but this radical way of being received. Am I making any sense at all? Sort of? Probably not really. Okay, I have an analogy that I think is going to help us understand it. But it's necessary. It's the way the Lord has set it up. Because once you are received in that way, you're never going to forget it. It has the power to change and transform you. It could be instantaneous. It could be loved over a lifetime. Being received and loved very, very well. And, and, and I've known some people who are able to do that, and I know the lives of the people that they have changed because of that ability to love and receive well. But as I've been saying, this is so difficult for me to explain, because unless you've experienced it, and very few of us have, it's hard to understand. But I think the best way to understand it, I'm going to sort of put flesh on this, is the other story in the New Testament, that deals with receiving a child? Okay, we have the first story is where Jesus receives the children. What's the second story that deals with a child being received? The prodigal son. Again, we talked about it. A child doesn't have to be a little bitty baby. We're all children. The reception or the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. This is what we're going to meditate on because I think this embodies everything I'm talking about. Because again, as much as we can give this example of Jesus receiving a small child, we're all like, I ain't ain't an innocent kid anymore. Maybe it speaks to us in a sort of an ideal fashion, but we're aware of our sin. We're very aware of our brokenness. That's why we're talking about perfectionism here. So it's much easier to identify with the prodigal son. And St. Therese loved the story of the prodigal son. Talked about it in a number of different places. But we know the story, so I'm not going to have to read it all. Young son takes the inheritance from the dad, which is basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, and goes and squanders it on booze and prostitutes or whatever. Basically ends up poor and destitute, living with the pigs, hates his lifestyle, and comes up with a plan. I mean, really, he's got a little manipulative here. I'm going to go tell my dad all these things, and he's going to take me back and let me be a servant in the house. So he's got the whole plan. We've already done that. Whenever we've hurt somebody, we know that we've got a plan on what we're going to say. We're going to say it exactly right so that they're going to forgive us. What happens? A long way off, the father sees the son and comes back. So that's verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him. So the father had been looking for him. The father had never given up on him. This is the God of the father doesn't give up on us and was filled with compassion, he ran to his son. He pursued his son. The father who pursues the child, comes after the child, embraced him and kissed him. This is it. Even though we're broken, even though our intentions to go back may not be the best, we may not feel that we're fully repentant. And again, when we really hurt somebody, it's good for us to be sorry. It's good for us to be repentant. Uh, we still maintain peace about it. We know the Father's going to forgive us, but they can be that sore in our heart. But this is allowing yourself to be received by the Father. In your sinfulness, in your brokenness, in your unworthiness, the Father embraces the Son. doesn't ask any questions, doesn't remonstrate, doesn't condemn Him, doesn't judge Him, doesn't even really give Him a chance to say anything. He sees Him and embraces Him, doesn't want to talk about it, restores him to his sonship, gives him the robe, and all these kind of things. That's what we're talking about right there. That reception by the father that restores our identity. Because he had lost his identity. He didn't have the ring anymore. He he basically, by saying that he wanted uh, the inheritance, he says, you're dead to me. I'm no longer your son. The love or being received by the Father restores our identity. So St. Therese, she says, yes, I feel it. Even though I had on my conscience all the sins that can be committed, I would go, my heart broken with sorrow, and throw myself into Jesus' arms, for I know how much he loves the prodigal child who returns to him. No questions asked. I'm receiving you, turning and allowing you to return to your sonship or hear your daughtership. And so we identify with that. How many of y'all identify? With, how many of the, does this make it make a little bit more sense? All right. Here's the fact. And I was talking to someone about this. I was, we we're meditating on it of my directees. And they said, the truth is we're more like the older son, particularly women. Particularly women are like the older son. Why? Because the older son refuses to allow himself to be received by the father. The older son doesn't do it. And this is is the irony. Maybe it's the best way to put it. The older son lives in the father's house, but unlike the younger son, does not live in the father's heart. You can live in the father's house, but you won't necessarily live in the Father's heart because you will not let the Father receive you. It could be out of your pride, your brokenness, resentment, your anger, whatever it is. But this is what it means to be received by the Father. It means not only that you are justified and you are good, but you are allowing yourself to be at home in the heart of the Father in a deeper, intimate way. The father's not going to force. He doesn't, he doesn't force the older son. He's there. He, in fact, goes to the older son and says, what's the problem? There's the party going on. Well, why aren't you coming to join us? He receives us only in our ability to allow ourselves to be received. So that's the question. As much as we may feel like the prodigal son, most often we are like the, prodigal, the, the older son. And again, I think it might even be more effective if it wasn't the prodigal son but the prodigal daughter, or the older son was the daughter. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Not going to allow myself to be received. I think there's something that we can bring and integrate that femininity because not only the son needs to know the love of the father, but it is the daughter that needs to find a home in the heart of the father. Make sense? Again, where you take this in your meditations, I don't know, but I think there's a truth there. So again, how do we do this? And this is the real problem. How, how do we allow ourselves to become so childlike, to, to, to allow ourselves to be received by the Father into his heart? As usual, I said, if you can learn to do with other people, it's going to be easier to translate in prayer to the Father. Usually people who are good at allowing themselves to be received by others or who have been received are a lot more vulnerable and are able to know God the Father's love. And so it is about learning that vulnerability, about failing. And as as the walls drop, we are going to be more and more able to be received in the totality of our being that affirms us in who we are. But I think the real way we can do it, besides, you know, mediated, it's possible in prayer. But it's got to be real prayer. Again, I'm not saying, when people, people, people say, Father, I forgot to say my prayers. Okay, say your prayers as if it's like, it is a task. I'm reciting these things. There's no real relationship there. And God's like, okay, I need these five Hail Marys by 10 o'clock tonight. But that's all it is. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not a relationship. Just saying prayers is not a relationship with the Father at all. I mean, somewhat of a relationship here, here are my five prayers. But this is it can be a complete lack of vulnerability. Now, granted, you could pray the Our Father in in like St. Teresa of Avila and talks about people going into mystical spheres because of it. But the truth is. The, what the father, father wants, we're gonna, he, he doesn't want anything from you. He just wants to be with his daughter. That's it. It's not that complicated. You know, the, again, but a lot of us, the father pursues the daughter. The father wants to spend time with you. He's going to hang out. You're not going to say anything. You're just being in the presence. And so this is where I think At practice, I'm not saying you shouldn't do your novenas and your morning prayer and your evening prayer. You can do all that. The practice of silent prayer, of saying, Lord, again, we could, with Jesus, but we know that we're talking about with Christ and the Father. I'm just here. We often feel unworthy, so we got to do all kinds of stuff to impress them. No, just be. Just be vulnerable. Even if you're distracted, the Father doesn't care. He, He just cares that you're there. Jesus just cares that you're there. That's what matters the most, and he is willing to embrace you, but, but you got to allow that to happen. He's willing to receive you. And there's no method. That's the thing. I can't tell you how to do it. You just got to do it, and in prayer, learning to allow yourself to be received, but it can't be like, okay, I'm going to give 20 minutes tonight, and I'm going to be received up. Oh, I didn't feel anything. I'm done. You know, God hates me. No but there's got to be. Sometimes, you know, we may feel nothing. We may feel absolutely nothing, Um, but we've got to stick it out. Sometimes I think it's a good idea. I've used this analogy. Let's say that you are going someplace that you know potentially is gonna be cold. Imagine you could take a coal or an ember with you and bring it there and put it in the wood to start a fire. So you can take, like, think about a memory that you have, whether in prayer or whether when you were a child or whether it be in some friendship or relationship where you felt received by another person at peace and that tranquility, take that memory and bring it into prayer, reflect on it and allow the spirit to work to sort of stir something up. Now that may or may not happen. Sometimes you can bring the best like a little coal and you're not going to start a fire. But at least you can bring your human experience there. But I think in some mysterious way, and this is very fortuitous that we're speaking with Jesus tonight, is that the Eucharist is central. Because Jesus, who we already know is the ideal child, because remember he says, whoever receives one like this receives me. Jesus identifies himself with the child. Jesus is the ultimate child, and he is the best at being received allowing himself to be received. Why? Because he's been doing it for all eternity. The son for all eternity has allowed himself to be received by the father. The whole Trinity thing, the spiration. And so as a child, he allowed himself in that vulnerable state to be received by his mother, received by his father. And then on Calvary, Lord, into your hands, I commend my spirit allowing himself to be received by the Father, and then his dead body to be received by his mother. And so in the Eucharist, it is the place where Christ is the most vulnerable and where he allows himself to be received by us. I think there's something we can meditate on that and learn from that. How Christ allows himself to be received by us, even times when we're unworthy, and, of course, we should go to confession first, but I would say flip it. Why not, and tonight, this is my challenge, is to allow yourself to be received by Christ and in doing so, allowing yourself to be received by the Father. Of course, we can also bring in Marian devotion. I mean, I haven't meant to skip over Our Lady a lot today. I did a Marian retreat last year. I've been focusing more on the Father Mary was really great at receiving others, the way she received Elizabeth, the way she would receive the apostles, the way she received Jesus. Mary in devotion, ask Our Lady to help us. And again, we're not going to naturally feel anything, but guess what? Jesus didn't feel anything on the cross. Saint Therese didn't feel anything at the end of her life, but she was there because love is more than feeling. Even in the darkness, being and allowing ourselves to be received. Because ultimately in heaven, we're going to know. This is what heaven is. We start talk about the beatific vision. We get to heaven and we see God. I think most people, that's why they're not too excited about heaven. Like, okay, there's God. Can't look at you for all eternity. I'm going to go fishing. I want my dog or something like that. Whatever. I think that's generally ridiculous. But heaven is ultimately about, for all eternity, the Father receiving us in Christ. That's all it is. Imagine the experience that you get on earth being received by someone who loves you in that pure, affirming way. That happens for all eternity, and like times a Googleplex or something like that. You can't even begin to imagine it, of in Christ being received by the Father. And so that's why this, this quote of Therese, I think, is so wonderful and sort of encapsulates this. She said as her death approached, yes, I am like a tired and harassed traveler who reaches the end of his journey and falls over. Yes, but I'll be falling into God's arms. That's the thing. Heaven is you fall over and the Lord receives you. The Father receives you. St. Therese understood it. I think it sums it up. Our own weakness, we're weak, we're tired, we can't do it ourselves, but that we're embraced, we're received by the Father. And from these experiences, if we can experience this affirmation and begin to live out the spiritual childhood, know the Lord loves us for who we are, embrace our own fallenness and learn vulnerability through the art of failure and ultimately allow ourselves to be received by the Father and by others, then we, can in turn, learn to receive others. You can't give what you, you don't have. Physician, heal yourself. As we find greater healing, we're going to be able to go and love others, and there's so many people who need it, who need that love. This is Mother Teresa's whole entire thing. I want to go into the darkness to bring light to the darkness, those who are lonely, those who are in love. And it's the way that we're going to really, really change hearts by being able to receive others and not, not asking anything of them. You know, I've been trying to bring in some of my experiences, and, and from this, you know that there's one young woman who I work with. I'm, I'm focusing on the ladies because y'all are ladies, and she came to me a few months back ago, and she says, "Father, it's amazing. I come to you all the time, and you receive me, but you never ask for anything." Now, granted, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I said, I'm, "I'm not in it for myself. I'm here to receive you." As I'm your father. I love you. And she's a, oh, she's a fantastic young woman. And I've seen the transformation in the past nine months to a year of being able to like, Hey, everybody's always wanted something from her. I'm going to love you. But conditionally, to be loved unconditionally, gradually like water over rock can break the rock. And so whether it be if you can learn this, people in your family with hard hearts or are lonely. That love is going to be able to, if you learn to receive them with God's grace, eventually begin to change hearts. Uh, and we're going to be able to change the people that God gives us. I'm just reading today a reflection, I'll probably talk about it tomorrow, from John Paul II. And John Paul II is talking about the givenness that sometimes God gives people to us. The problem is he gives people to us, but if we can't receive them, it doesn't do any good or if we don't receive them but we use them, it really doesn't do any good. And so uh, that's my homework for tonight, ladies. And it's not really any homework. We're going to have a little time. We've had adoration. We're going to do it where, sisters will explain how, we're going to go up and line up at the communion rail, and I'll come one by one and bless with the Eucharist. But because I have embraced my own weakness, I know that, I have a bad back. So before I do that, we're going to take Jesus out of the big 500-pound monstrance, and we're going to do a little switcheroo, and we're going to bring Jesus into the smaller, lighter monstrance so that at the end of the night, I won't need to have a couple of vertebrae fused. Um, so see, look, I'm, I'm knowing, acknowledging my weakness. And, but this is what I want you all to do. Whatever your prayers are, make your prayer... As the Lord comes to you, say, Lord, receive me. Allow yourself to be received by him. And just spend some time meditating on that. Because that is the key to living in spiritual childhood. And so tomorrow, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look over uh, and describe what it should look like, or what are some of the qualities of a person who's living in the love of the Father who knows that they're a child, who allows himself to be received and loved and affirmed in their totality, who trusts and who has peace. What are some of those characteristics of being the, uh, the daughter or the son of the father?